they have to contend with their circumstances and their circumstances are quite risky, though in different ways. So I didn't want there to be a bad guy. I wanted them to be able to just do their best with where they found themselves, what they found themselves doing. So here we are. It's been a week. So we're going to talk about Jane's new book, Perestroika in Paris, which I've been a Jane Smiley fan for a long time. My parents are Jane Smiley fans, and I knew you liked animals, and I knew nothing about Perestroika in Paris when I went into it. And if you really want to have the full experience that I had, pause the podcast, read Perestroika in Paris, come back and listen to it, because it is actually incredibly delightful if you know nothing about it going into it. There's your warning. Now we're going to move on and talk about it as if everyone's read it. So it's about animals and all the characters are animals and they're running around Paris doing <laughs> animal things. It's amazing. You know, I would ask what your inspiration is, but we know from your other work that you have a lot of interest in horses. So how did the idea for this novel come to you? Tell us about the genesis of this work. Well, I was actually in Paris and I went to visit a woman that I had met on the internet who's from Wisconsin and is a racehorse trainer outside of Paris. And the place she kept her horses is called Maison Lafitte, which is kind of out in the countryside. And we went and visited her. I thought she was totally fascinating. Her name is Gina Rarick. And then it was time for dinner. So my husband and I decided to go to a patisserie and cafe in the Place de Trocadero, which is on the west side of the Seine, which is a place where I'd never been. Now, the west side of Paris is up a hill. It's much more natural in some ways than the main area of Paris. The streets are very windy and the Bois de Boulogne is right behind it. We're having this fabulous serving of French onion soup. And I said to my husband, you know, wouldn't it be funny if my horse, Perestroika, was a racehorse in Maison Lafitte and decided to escape into Paris and she could come here. And so we both laughed and we said, that would be funny and that's totally ridiculous. But then I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I decided to start and see what happened. So I started and it was just very enjoyable to write. And of course, it meant I had to go back to Paris and do a lot of research. And I worked on it for a long time. I had other projects going. I just thought it was a fun thing. I didn't think of it as something that was actually going to get published. And so when I was in Paris, I was in Versailles for a literary thing. A couple of years ago, I had lunch with my French translator who had translated the volumes of my trilogy into French. And I said, okay, Karine, I'm going to show you something. And I want you to tell me if you think this is even remotely possible. I sent her the English version and she really, really enjoyed it. And she gave me a few hints and a few tips, but I said, okay, I now have permission to turn this in to the publisher. So in the summer of 2019, I was working on another thing, but I said to the publisher, you know, you read this, we should publish it. And we can publish it in December of 2020, around the time of the election, and it'll be kind of a distraction for people. And they said, 
okay, we'll have a look at it. My editor actually loved it. It made its very slow and roundabout way into being published. But I enjoyed every minute of it. I loved writing it. I loved doing the research. I loved the animals. I liked the people that I thought up. It was just fun. That all comes through in the book. That's exactly how I would have imagined that you write, because there's such joy in the book. Tell me if this was a conscious choice or if this just evolved naturally, or if I have this wrong, if I'm reading it wrong, but there's no antagonist in this book. <laughs> My Hollywood agent said that. Is this just maybe how LA people think? <laughs> For these people, or a lot of these people, life is the bad guy. And they have to contend, especially the very old, old great-grandmother, but also the young boy. They have to contend with their circumstances, and their circumstances are quite risky, though in different ways. So I didn't want there to be a bad guy. I wanted them to be able to just do their best with where they found themselves, what they found themselves doing. The dog Frida, her owner was a street musician. So there's no bad guy in his life, but he just scrapes by from day to day and sleeps on the street. So I don't want a bad guy to come and stab him. There's a purity to this story because the concept of an antagonist is sort of a privilege of people who have the rest of their life together. For these animals, the antagonist is the world. For Sid and Nancy, the punk ducks, the, the antagonist is other animals want to eat their children. One of the things that they always have to deal with when they're migrating is getting shot. And for Paris, I don't want her to be hurt. She doesn't feel there's an antagonist, but she doesn't need an antagonist. She just is curious. She wants to find things. She wants to find out things. She wants to go places. She wants to check things out. Lots of times her curiosity leads her into places that she's never been and doesn't know anything about. So she doesn't need an antagonist. She needs an ally, which she finds in Frida. There's this great essay by Thomas Nagel called What's It Like to Be a Bat, which I don't know if you're familiar with. <laughs> I've never read that, no. It's a philosophical essay, and the thesis of it is essentially there is nothing that it is like to be a bat that we could communicate. Because bats think in a spatial way that is just so alien to us that we could never understand it. And this is a big sort of idea in contemporary philosophy that I just took for granted. And reading your book, I feel like I have some idea what it's like to be a raven and some idea what it's like to be a mallard. The thing that you did that was so brilliant, and I don't know if this was intuitive or intentional or a combination of both, is to really have the animals understand the worlds from the senses that would be most obvious and prevalent to them. Yeah, we know stuff about animals. We know that dogs have a really good sense of smell. We know that horses have a really good sense of hearing. The sense that I gave the rat, well, I don't know that rats have that sense, but how would they survive without it? The sense I gave the rat is a sensory feeling of the power of someone nearby. I wanted there to be a rat because when I was looking around this part of Paris, which is right near the Champ de Mar, I saw these beautiful old houses that had clearly been there since maybe the mid 19th century or thereabouts. And I figured there had to be rats in the walls because the walls looked really thick. So I wanted to have a rat. I wanted to have different kinds of animals. So there's a horse, a dog, 
couple of rats, a raven, couple of mallards. And I wanted them to communicate with one another. And I wanted them to have different things to report to one another. I did do research on rats, the difference between black rats and brown rats. I did research on mallards and why they're different from other kinds of ducks. For years, I've been learning about horses and dogs, but I did research on ravens. If you're in that area around Paris on the west side, you see lots of flocks of ravens. And yes, they're always, always, always crowing or cawing, you know. So what are they doing? Well, they're talking to one another. They have to in order to do anything together. And so it just sort of won me over. But I also liked coming up with the human characters. The human characters are just the most likely ones to be around when the animals are in the Champ de Mar. There's the guy who is in charge of the gardens and the landscape. Because I walked down a nearby street on the south side and saw a bakery there, I thought, okay, I should put a baker in here. And then there's the very old lady and her very young son. And I thought that would be interesting because there must be somebody in one of those houses who's really old and who has a sense of the history of the area and the history of Paris. So the humans just sort of came to me one by one because they would be typical of that particular place. The animals, just because they were fun. I love the humans in this book because they're sort of understood through the eyes of the animals, which makes them all seem wonderful because they're very helpful to the animals in their own ways. And so they're three-dimensional in a unique way. You're seeing them through the eyes of animals that love them, which is really amazing. I just have a question about writing. Do you write with an audience in mind? No. I write what I want to write. I read it aloud to my husband. So I guess you could say he's my audience. You're his Silas Wegg. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> he likes to hear. It's only maybe a couple of pages per day. And then sometimes he has a correction to make, or sometimes he says, I don't understand something or other, and then I go back and fix it. I think that's really good. When I was teaching, I told my students, you should read your work aloud to yourself because your ear hears differently from what your eye sees. And so there are mistakes that are in there that your eye passes over, but your ear will hear. So that's been great, I think, reading to him and seeing his reaction to things that I've written. Does it give him a laugh? Does he not understand it? That sort of thing. Does he ever not like stuff that you've written? He likes some things better than others, but he's open. Let's put it that way, which is a good thing because I like to write a whole bunch of different things. But he really liked this one. And that's part of the reason I gave the manuscript to Kareem, because this was one of his favorites all along from the beginning of when I started writing it. I don't often say this, nor can I usually say this about any book, but I think I can guarantee that anyone will like this book. <laughs> well, I hope so. I think anyone who buys this book and reads it is going to like it. It's incredibly charming. Each animal comes from their own universe. You know, Paras, the horse, comes from what is maybe the most familiar to us, which is racehorses. I don't know a lot about racehorses, but the way she describes it seems exactly like how I would imagine it. And they're basically professional athletes. 
And so she comes from the universe of professional athletes and they're very competitive and they know all about each other's routines. The dog is a dog. Frida is just like every dog I've ever known, more or less. But Raul, the raven, the ones that are the less familiar animals are the ones that really struck me that like, I mean, I'm not your editor or your publisher, but if you want to take direction from me, please just write an entire series of books about the lives of ravens across the world. Well, the life of the raven that we really want to know about was Charles Dickens' raven, because he had a pet raven that he taught to talk. People know it existed, but nobody's ever really delved into it. But I bet that raven had a lot to say. (laughs) Reading these two things together, because I read them back to back, they're so similar. The way that Dickens tells a story and the way that you tell the story in this book is very similar. Maybe you just love Dickens and it seeps in. I would say that because I read him so much when I was young, both the ones I understood and the ones I didn't. He did have a big effect on me. I mean, I understood from the beginning that he had a political point of view, that he was in favor of a more equal society, that he knew there were bad guys and there were good guys. He didn't have very enlightened attitudes toward women, but I think he got more open as he got older. But because I read his books when I was in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and then later, yeah, they helped shape what I wanted to do and what I thought was important to do as a writer. That's why I chose to talk about this one rather than about, say, the Bobsy Twins. Hmm. How is your taste in literature that you read evolved as you become a more practiced writer? I still love the books that I loved when I was young, like Jane Austen. But for example, I've been reading The Overstory, you know, by Richard Powers, and I truly appreciate and I'm sort of awed by that book. For a while, I moved from Dickens to Trollope. I never read any Trollope until I was an adult, and I was blown away by his insights into psychology. He's also very horsey, which was probably the first thing I noticed about him. You know, he loved fox hunting. He wrote very insightfully about horses and about horse racing. One of my favorite books of his is The Kellys and the O'Kellys, which was one of his first books, which I recommend. But my real favorite of his is He Knew He Was Right, which is a book about a man who obsessively believes that his wife is being unfaithful to him. And then there's a paired story about an older woman who is quite decided in her views and not very nice. And she's the one who learns to be a better person. In fact, Trollope was not fond of that book. And I think it was because he liked his characters to change, but he totally understood what an obsessive compulsive person would be like. And he could not get this person to change. So in some ways, his psychological knowledge jumped ahead of his authorial desires. And I think that's a totally brilliant book. I have come to like lots of different authors. I should tell you a picture of my room here, which is one stack of books on top of another. Just reading your work, it's clear that you are extremely observant, that you record and understand things that maybe most people pass over. It seems to me like you are experiencing the world with 
more detail than most people. And that's something you've probably cultivated over a long career. Well, I don't know. You know, you are who you are. And I am not the most observant person I know. When I was younger, I had a boyfriend and we lived in this cabin in the middle of the woods. We came out the cabin door and he said, oh, look at that. And I looked around, looked around. I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. He kept saying that, look at that. And finally I saw it was this huge spider web that was covered with moisture that was sort of sparkling in the sunshine. So I had to learn to be observant. I mean, part of my problem is that I've been wearing glasses since I was seven. And so I didn't have very good eyesight. So I had to learn to be observant. But even when I was young, I loved walking around neighborhoods and walking in the woods and seeing things and learning about things. But I guess the last thing I'd have to say on that subject is every writer is who he or she is. You're born with certain traits and you develop those as best you can. You try to add things that you are missing. But that's why I love reading novels, because even if a writer jumps around from subject to subject and theme to theme, there's a sort of characteristic quality to what he or she is writing. And that's the thing you come to love about that writer. That's the thing I love about novels, because every novelist sees everything in his or her own way. And so I feel like I'm reading a novel, I'm getting to see the story, but I'm also getting to know the novelist. Wow. Well, thank you, Jane Smiley, for a brilliant answer to an admittedly pretty stupid question. (laughs) (laughs) So the last question I have to ask you is to please recommend two books to our audience that you think they should read. What I'm going to do is just reach for a couple that are just sitting here. This one is Gabriel Byrne's more recent memoir called Walking with Ghosts. And it builds on his earlier memoir, which was called Pictures in My Head. And they're totally fascinating because he has had a really fascinating life. And he's also really smart. And he started out wanting to be a writer and then ended up being an actor. One of the best things about a Gabriel Byrne book is to listen to the audio version because he really does do all the accents in a beautiful and amusing way. He's a wonderful actor and Pictures in My Head is upbeat and humorous and Walking with Ghosts is sort of sad, but they're both really interesting and they're different perspectives on his life. That's one I really love. So I'll recommend this one, which is a Russian novel called Unforgiving Years by Victor Serge, or S-E-R-G-E. I think Russian literature in general is really interesting because we get to see a world that we aren't very familiar with, and we get to see human interactions that we aren't very familiar with, and yet we come to understand how they're interacting. When I was growing up, a lot of my favorite authors were Russian, like Dostoevsky or Gogol. Not so much Tolstoy, but I do like some of Tolstoy's work. I love Tolstoy. (laughs) (laughs) This is basically about 20th century conflicts in Russia from somebody's point of view. It's a really fascinating book, too. 
Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Jane Smiley, for joining us. Thank you for recommending an amazing book, our mutual friend. Thank you for writing an amazing book, Perestroika in Paris. Well, we look forward to reading much more of your work and we'll have you back when your next book comes out. Great. Thank you very much. Our guest next week is author Denise Hamilton. She is the author of the Eve Diamond series of crime novels, also a new anthology called Speculative Los Angeles, which is just out really great really interesting anthology about LA. We talk about Los Angeles. We talk about noir writing. We're going to be discussing the book, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? by Horace McCoy. So tune in next week to hear me and Denise Hamilton talk about Los Angeles. This conversation with Jane Smiley was brought to you by the Miami Book Fair. The Miami Book Fair, it's an annual gathering of authors and book lovers and booksellers and readers. There are all kinds of sessions and opportunities to talk to really interesting, wonderful people about really interesting things. I know this firsthand because I've just gotten back from the 2021 Miami Book Fair, and it was fantastic. My first time in Miami, highly recommend it. I'm definitely going to go back next year, and I hope I'll see you there. you for writing an amazing book, Perestroika in Paris. And thank you for laughing only slightly judgmentally when I said that I love Tolstoy. 